Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast. My name is John Heatherton. I'm a senior manager in BSI's Cybersecurity and Information Resilience Team. And I'm glad to be here today with uh, Colin Fagan, who is the Director of IT Security and Risk Management at Doosan Bobcat. Uh, if you've not heard of Doosan Bobcat before, you, you probably know them, but you just don't know it. Um, they're a global engineering and manufacturing company of compact equipment, um, so construction and agricultural vehicles. Um, so thanks for joining us today, Colin. Hi, John. Nice to be here. Thanks. Um, and today's podcast, we are uh, going to be focusing on the challenges um, that are facing senior information security leaders um, and how these leaders are, are really dealing with these challenges um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So without further ado, um, Colm, if you maybe just tell us a bit about yourself and really what led you into uh, the security space. Okay, uh, well, I would have started out uh, early on in my career very kind of from a very technical background. So I have, um, you know, a degree in electronics, communications, engineering. I've always been sort of technically minded. Uh, first couple of jobs, I got Dell, Microsoft. So I would have picked up a lot of uh, experience just around, I suppose, computer hardware and software in general. And I suppose, interestingly enough, when I was working in Microsoft, it was sort of mid 90s, 94, 95, 96, around then, uh, I saw my first web page, you know, and uh, Microsoft were um, at the time rolling out uh, TCP IP protocol on the network. <clears throat> and uh, from there then, uh, they were connecting the, the network where I was in, in Dublin to the internet. Uh, I was lucky enough to be working on a team there called uh, the Beta Support Team. And our role was to uh, provide support to, to the staff in Microsoft in their, in their development centers around new products that you know, hadn't been released yet. And we were sort of uh, put in the fray to, to sort of figure out how they worked and, and to provide some level of local support to people. And, and at that time, um, all the new products, the beta products that were coming out by Microsoft were all internet focused. Uh, and so um, I just I just piqued my interest, I suppose, in general in the internet. But when when we connected the the network to the internet, the the key issue was around um, security. And and one of those products that came down the pipe was uh, a product with a code name of um, um, uh, Catapult, which was Microsoft's first proxy server. So I think that's when I started. That's sort of what piqued my interest in security, just connecting the network to the internet. So I started there on the, on, on the technical background, but from there I went and, and worked in a, an Irish company called Entropy. And uh, at that time, uh, Entropy had the sole distribution rights to a very a very well-known um, firewall product called uh, Firewall One from Checkpoint. At the time, it was it was kind of the only show in town, really. There was a few other competitors, but it was by far and away the best product on the market. And as uh, as um, you know, a lot of Irish companies were connecting to the internet for the first time. Um, we were we were getting brought in to do that job. Uh, so I would have picked up a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of experience around uh, networking and um, routing and uh, just, you know, connecting uh, connecting organizations to the internet. It sounds kind of really simple and straightforward now, but back then it was a pretty major undertaking to do that, uh, particularly in terms of how, how the, the, the company would leverage the, this new connection to the internet, you know, so yeah. there's a lot of upselling, a lot of upselling going on, selling, you know, proxy servers and mail servers and gateway servers so i learned a lot about this all the different types of technologies back then so yeah, very, very, can, kind of, very kind of very kind of yeah 
25 years ago it's almost <laughs> there's a whole, it's a whole generation of people who can't even think of what life would be like without the internet at the moment uh, there you yeah. are on the edge 25 years ago yeah, it's, a, it's another age really but interestingly enough from from there i went on i got a job in um, a company called uh, espion i'm sure you know very well and <laughs> I do, uh, I do. That, the kind of the kind of key change there was uh you know i'd always been sort of more defensive kind of uh, security person but when i went there uh we became like we, the company had already been involved in in like the irish HoneyNet project for example it was a great marketing vehicle and, and, and customers were coming to us sort of trying to leverage our experience from that. Uh, so we were we were involved in more as I was concerned. Uh, and you know, and from there we, we just got involved in doing a good bit of consultancy around um, you know, we at the time we would say best practice based on our experience. Uh, from what we knew, but uh, eventually we had to start um, looking at like the, the you know the ISO standards and the British standards and you know the American NIST type standards. So we started to you know do consultancy around that kind of you know that kind of more uh, robust sort of uh, um, foundation of, of of recommendations that we could make. You know because they were you know best practice considered best practice. So yeah, you know, so I think I think you know fairly well grounded on both sides the networking technology hardware software networking you know offensive security defensive security. And uh, after I left uh, Espion, I went to work in a large pharma company. Uh, what, what was interesting for me there is obviously they're very highly regulated in the in the pharma industry, and and this particular company is one of the largest in the world in the pharma side. And you know they had rolled out uh, information governance management uh, processes within that company, and so I was just soaking that up. I'd never kind of I'd never seen it on that kind of scale before, so I learned I learned an awful lot about the sort of governance and how you would roll it out in a in a global company when I worked mm -hmm. there, and uh, and then from there I got the opportunity. I got a call one day to say, would you like to take on the role, or would you like to interview for the role of of security and risk in in Doosan, which was also global. So I thought, you know, I wasn't sure if I had the chops to do it, but I thought, here, I'll give it a shot, and and, and sure enough, I got in there, and that's where I've been since. Yeah, very good, and. Two two kind of different worlds there with certainly in the last two jobs with Novartis being so um, heavily regulated versus uh, the Doosan role. Um, what what did you kind of see as being the the big differences when when you went from one to the other? Well, just that really. I mean, the the side was highly regulated. Um, everything very well documented. Every everything very proceduralized. Everything very formal in terms of training. All of that you, you can imagine. Uh, to yeah. the the manufacturing industry isn't anywhere close to the same level of regulation on on you know information governance side. Uh, so there was the expression that we use that we were using at the time was technical debt. There was kind of a lot of technical debt in terms of the way things were done, and the job was really to um, to bring it up to uh, you know a, a, you know a current day standard. That was that was the main kind of um, objective. Like if you think about it, I've I've been I've been over to uh, you know some of our manufacturing facilities in North Dakota in America, and you're walking around there and they've got equipment you know like you know pre presses and stuff that have been there for 60 years you know. And they're mm -hmm. still operating today, so there's very, you know, there's very much that kind of ethos of it. You know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. You know, yeah. Uh, so you kind know, of, you kind of get a lot. You get, you kind of squeeze the value out of absolutely everything for as long as you can. But you know, in some cases, that that can go on a little bit longer than it should, really. Yeah, yeah. One of the problems, I suppose, one of the things that um, 
you guys, as you move forward um, going to the cloud, it's, it kind of removes that technical debt aspect um, from the equation uh, when you're when you're just moving to the cloud to get all that kind of work done. Yeah. Um, so I suppose it, it lends itself to the question then when you are dealing with that kind of scenario where you you're in a highly regulated organization and you know you have to abide by the rules, follow the regulations, and you move into a, an organization that's not as regulated. How do the conversations go with regards to security and convincing, um, I suppose, the, the people uh, minding the purse strings uh, to say that you need to you need to spend on security when it's it's not really showing any um, revenue generation or um, it's not delivering anything you haven't got that regulatory requirement to back you up you are just the sole person trying to make the case um, have you any tips for well yeah I mean I suppose for, people in, in terms of influencing the executive yeah um, I, I think when you when you're talking to when you're talking to executives, obviously, probably first and foremost is trying to get get to know them, build a bit of a rapport with them. So it's always uh, good to um, you know to reach out and and just sort of get to know them as, as on a personal level, or you know as well as you can initially. Um, uh, you know, from there you can sort of try and get to know, understand what makes them tick, like what you know what their objectives are, what their strategies are, um, you know what it is they want to do over you know the short, medium, long term to 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 progress the, the, the company and, and to, to push the company forward. So, you know, as a security practitioner, at the end of the day, you're just really there to support the, the strategic objectives of the company and, and to prevent, uh, you know, to prevent risk from affecting those. So I think if you, if you, get, it, if you get it from the horse's mouth, what's, what makes them tick, uh, that's, a, that's a good place to start. Uh, but in, then, you know, in, in, in terms of trying to, to secure, you know, um, budget for for fixing problems, you know, that you, you come across. Um, I think it's it's important to probably leave the technical details out of it when you're talking to executives. You're much you're much better off when you focus on, uh, you know, keeping the language, you know, plain speaking and and business focused. And I suppose from a security standpoint, that really means talking about you know risk. So you might find, you know, talking to your 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 technical colleagues that you know some system has some kind of um, vulnerability with the level of encryption that's been used for authenticating users or something like your executives don't want to know about that but what they do want to know is that you know this could potentially lead to a material risk if you know we have a compromised credentials leading to you know um, perhaps a breach of strategic intellectual property which ultimately could lead to you know a loss of market value so you're you're, you're trying to I think it's important to try and um, look at you know the expression I've I've come across, which I think is good, is causal impact. So, how can you relate the the vulnerability that you've seen to the kind of the applications, to the process, to ultimately the the business objective that that it supports? And I think you yeah. know when you talk when you talk in those kind of terms, it's a lot easier to to for them to understand what what the issues are and what uh, what needs to be done to to address those issues. Yeah, and I think it is something that we still kind of miss, as especially when we're coming from a technical background. We love to talk about networks and firewalls and topologies and yeah, vulnerabilities, and it, it is hard um, when you come from that technical background to adapt into that business um, yeah. mindset sometimes. Uh, yeah, um, the, the, so I the, think the executives. Yeah, so say the executives don't care. They don't care about that kind of stuff, yeah. you know. They they yeah. really care about exactly. it, you know. 
the risk. And actually, another thing I think that's really useful, I found this useful, is to, um, if you can, uh, try and find out what your peers in the industry are doing or what your competitors in the industry are doing. Uh, because I've noticed they always kind of say, well, what does you know X, Y, and Z do? And how do we compare to boom? So if you if you can, you know, if you can f try and get as much information about your industry and sort of draw parallels between what you're doing and what your competitors are doing, that really helps as well. So it kind of gives that sort of, I suppose, uh, comfort factor that you, they know they're kind of within the same sort of uh, thresholds as, as other similar companies. Yeah, I, I can say certainly from coming from the consultancy world, and you'll know yourself, there's there's nothing like a, a breach uh, in the same industry you're in, once it's not you, to uh, to motivate your own executive sometimes to put their, well, that's their it, hand yeah. in their pocket yeah. to spend. Yeah. So. Sure, we had we had this, something similar like that, like I think it was a couple of years ago when all that ransomware stuff was coming around. Um, and and inter interestingly enough, there was similar companies to ours had been breached and they ended up in the headlines, you know, like there was you know, yeah. Renault were in there, Hitachi were in there, Nissan were in there. And uh, I remember just grabbing the logos and, and the headlines and putting them into a into a PowerPoint deck and sort of going, look, <laughs> this is what happened to these similar companies yeah. who had manufacturing facilities and production. So it, it helps to get the, to get the message home. I mean, the, the other thing, interestingly enough, is if you can put a value, obviously, if you can put a value on what this, uh, what these issues can, um, can cost the company. So we, we would know in our company, like if, if a manufacturing line is down or, you know, production line is down for a day, what the, what the dollar impact is there. So you can, you can mm. sort of go, well, XYZ company was down for three days. That would equate to, you know, this much revenue, potential loss of revenue for us. So it, it makes it easier then to, to make decisions when you have that kind of good concrete info. Yeah, the, the the quantitative data is is really the panacea when when you're talking about risk management and security, um, and it, it it brings me back to a conversation we had in the past, where I suppose our our traditional security world may have been made up of trying to relate risk back to confidentiality, integrity, and availability, whereas I know you had a you had an additional kind of couple of fields that you you like to add on to that um, to uh, maybe expand and make more relevant to um, the particular role you're working in now. You may, maybe want to expand on that a little? Yeah, I remember actually I was at a conference there last year and uh, one of the guys talking sort of said, he was talking about that concept of CIA and, and, and he was saying, you know, in the world we're in now, given the, you know, the, the amount of things, for example, that are connected, the sheer amount and volume of types of devices that are connected to the internet and our reliance on them, he was making the point that you know we we probably need to expand that CIA to include uh, privacy, which in fairness probably a lot of security people are already doing anyway. Privacy, uh, reliability, and safety, and that sort of kind of struck a chord with me because obviously the the types of things that we're um, producing in our company, um, you know, machinery and uh, and the type of things that they want to do with that, the, the reliability is obviously of paramount importance. And from the conversations I've had, particularly with the executives in our company, I know they take safety very seriously. So uh, you know, it, it's an interesting kind of concept to sort of as a security professional to, to consider. Uh, how the risks kind of affect these these newer, well, say privacy has been around for a while, but uh, reliability and safety, I think, is, is an interesting concept to see how how security can benefit there. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it what it also demonstrates is, uh, as security professionals, not just to work within the CIA triad, um, you always consider the the risk context outside, um, and use that to your advantage. So it's a really yeah. good point. 
Yeah, we did it. We actually, when 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 we came back, uh, one of the one of the things I was talking to my colleagues about was saying, I wonder, I wonder how what that would look like in, in our company. So we actually we did a bit of an exercise and we went around and I, we spoke to over a hundred different managers and directors in the company, and we kind of added on that tag. So we were we were basically asking them the question, you know, what 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 systems are you using on a daily basis? What kind of information are you using to get your job done? And we took advantage of that to get them to classify it. So we had we had um, we had already got a classification policy. So we wanted to see what they thought in terms of how confidential it was, you know, integrity uh, and availability, like how critical it was. But then we tagged it. We just tagged on those questions and said, you know, does this does this information affect the reliability of our products? Does it reflect the safety of our products? If there was a compromise to it, how would it affect, you know? that side of the those products and so we got some interesting answers and, and we learned quite a bit uh, yeah. we, we realized there's probably some things that we had some things that we had in our scope that you know probably um sorry some, some of the things that we should have in scope should probably be should have been added in that we didn't we weren't aware of you know yeah 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 it's a good point okay um so i suppose to take it on a slightly different tangent then um so Given the kind of global scale that you guys are at at the moment, um, what are the key kind of um, risks that you see popping up at the moment? Are there any particular threats you're worried about when it's related specifically to your industry? Um, I don't. I wouldn't say it's anything specific to our industry per se, but I mean, I mean, probably like most companies, we've seen a huge ramp up in the kind of phishing style, the social engineering attacks. They just seem to be uh, happening mm. all the time now, and I, I would imagine, from what I've seen, it seems to be the very effective in some cases, and probably one of the the, the, the bigger threats out there. I mean, over the last few years, we we've kind of seen the same. I'd imagine the same as everyone else, like all the ransomware stuff, the drive-by downloads, the increase in phishing, the crypto mining. We've kind of seen seen all of it, you know. Uh, well, I suppose yeah. one of the one of the one of the interesting things is we we know that, like we can see it, we can track it, and we we've, we've got our baseline, so we can sort of manage it that way, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's definitely. I know with certainly within our forensics department, the. Uh, Business email account takeover and compromise uh, is seems to be absolutely rampant at the moment, um, and it's yeah. interestingly enough we can see visibility into some of the stats that Microsoft produce on even in their Secure Score portal, which I think comes with most uh, license packages you get with O365 now. Yeah. And you can have a look and see where uh, industry peers are to kind of relate that back to. You know how good, bad, or indifferent you, your security of that environment that you choose to implement is versus peers. Mm. And the vast majority of people are doing absolutely nothing about uh, securing their O365 environments. And it's when you get on those post-incident calls, it's like, oh, why did why did Microsoft not just implement multi-factor authentication as default and make me turn yeah. it off if I don't want it? You know, that's it. Well, yeah, I be on that way. <laughs> Yeah, I was reading that uh, they have this uh, security intel report that they put out and uh, I was just looking at the last one there and it made the point that in the last, I think it was between January 2018 and December, they saw a 250% increase in the number of phishing emails going through their systems, you know, so it's yeah. just massive and I, it's a complete and utter no-brainer for me. Yeah. The yeah. multi-factor authentication. Absolutely. If you're using Office 365 or any, to be honest, with you, these days any kind of cloud thing, you know, a cloud service that your company relies on, you, it's just a no-brainer. Should be multi-factor authentication for me, anyway. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I also read a, a report from Microsoft where they said, I think I'm pretty sure it was greater than 99% of um, the breaches they're, they're seeing to their cloud environment is, is through credential theft and yeah. through the implementation of, of MFA um, is, is preventing the vast majority of those. Um, yeah. And I think, I think the, the whole don't be the slowest gazelle um, kind of theory uh, applies to that yeah. one and that they're just going to move on to someone else if, if they don't get you. Yeah, I would say if anyone is rolling out, thinking or considering rolling out Office 365, it's just, it's just a no-brainer, just put it in straight away. But yeah. um, the, the other side of it is if you haven't seen one of those compromises, it's just a matter of time. It's not, it's not if, yeah. it's a matter of when really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Good stuff. Okay, and in terms of um, other kind of while we're while we're on the cloud for the moment, what what kind of what kind of technologies are you using um, in the cloud at the moment? Uh, well, on the security side or on the business side? Well, maybe if we if we talk about maybe what's on the business side at the moment, and then see if there's any overlapping, I suppose, secu cloud security controls that you're using to manage those cloud systems. Uh, well, we, yeah, we have the kind of, I suppose, the, the usual sort of main kind of players, like the likes of Microsoft. We, we use, um, you know, their cloud services. We use AWS, we use uh, Salesforce, all the kind of the, the well-known sort of cloud service providers. From a, from a security standpoint, um, we have uh, we use a managed service from Symantec, for example, a cloud-based uh, kind of SIEM platform. Uh, we use Qualys, mm -hmm. which I think is great for doing the you know the vulnerability scans and checking the, the security baselines. That's all run from the from the cloud as well. Um, we have mm -hmm. um, another really really good product that helped us roll out uh, secure internet connections quite quickly was uh, Zscaler, which is a, a secure web gateway, um, which is 100% uh, cloud-based. Uh, so that was really useful yeah. for when Office 365 has been rolled out in particular, actually, because um, it, it sort of helps with all, all the performance issues there as well. Very good. And so the, the Zscaler gives you the web filtering capability, I suppose, to, in a single location across your, your global estate of users controlled from one place and all that kind of good stuff yeah pretty much but yeah, when, when we rolled it out first uh, we just sort of put it in and in, in sort of in its most basic mode and um, because there wasn't really anything like that before in the company um so that was a major i suppose cultural shock for people <laughs> to have that in all of a sudden uh, and then uh, then as it matured as it kind of settled down a little bit we started to flip on some of the other um, features one of them for example was the um the, I think they call it ATP, Advanced Threat Protection. I could be mixing up my vendors here, but basically it, it does um, uh, sandboxing, you know, and that, that was quite useful for when all the ransomware stuff was going around. Okay, so Colin, looking ahead, uh, how do you see the role then of the, the CTO in charge of security, or the CISO or uh, Director of IT and Cybersecurity evolving uh, over the next three to five years? So any specific challenges you think you may be coming across? Um, well, I'm not sure if, if it's really that different than it is today. I mean, you know, if you look back, say, in the last five years or so, everyone's talking about social media and big data analytics and mobile and cloud. And I suppose a lot of that stuff is still around. And, and you know, now, like, if you look at the press, you hear, you hear about things like machine learning and artificial intelligence and, you know, mixed reality and even quantum computing is starting to get back into the headlines again. So. 
I suppose if, if you're a, I suppose a CIO, CIO just in general sense, I, I suppose you, you really want to make sure that you're you're in a position where you can take advantage of, of these new and great technologies um, to give, I suppose, to give your, your organization a bit of a competitive edge. Uh, I wouldn't like to be in the position where, you know, one of your competitors has, has jumped on the bandwagon of one of these technologies and gone out there and set the world on fire and you're, you know, kind of sitting there from the sidelines. So I suppose it's trying to stay one, one step ahead of the game with all this technology is important. But um, I suppose at the same time as well, you know, the, everyone is their own CIO these days, you know, with your computing power and networking and apps and clouds and, you know, I suppose your 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 workforce are only really limited by their own imagination in terms of what they can achieve if they want to from from the the types of technologies that are available from them. So, I suppose the CIO or CTO really has to, um, you know, I suppose much more challenging user base than than you might have had in the past. And uh, I suppose proving where you can add value to such a demanding workforce with so much, um, I suppose, functionality at their disposal has got to be a challenge yeah. and, and then at the same time you know i suppose the, the the bad actors or hackers or fraudsters or whatever you want to call them out there i mean they've they've got access to all this stuff too so you know trying to figure out what's going, what's the next thing that's going to come along is obviously something that you is is a challenge there as well yeah absolutely and when we touched on i suppose standards in the past it's it's about well, picking one for, for getting a broad range of coverage, but not relying on one and making sure you're aware of what's going on in the threat landscape and uh, oh, yeah. trying to yeah. at least make, make, your, make your decisions defensible. And yeah, I think it's, I it's, think it's, it's a really good point. Uh, so I was going to say, yeah, it's, I think it's really good just to keep your keep one eye on all of that kind of stuff, like the standards and, um, you know, what's in, what's, in the, what's in the press at the moment, what kind of, what kind of risks are out there, what kind of threats are doing the rounds. So it's, yeah. it's good to have, uh, to keep yourself aware about all that kind of thing too, to, to make sure you're, you're thinking about it at least anyway and what, what you would do in that, in that uh, sense. Yeah, and, and even I, I think what, I think personally what one of the biggest challenges is going to be is given, as you mentioned, all this kind of almost limitless um, cloud computing power that, that people can gain access access to pretty much at the tick of a box these days is allowing your organization to actually leverage that capability but maintaining some level of control over it so your your cloud your aws or your azure environment yeah. doesn't become the wild west and you lose all yeah. control but it's about having the multi-factor on the accounts allowing people to spin up and spin down maintaining the inventory of what's there and um, allowing yeah. to people allowing people to use that creativity and the power of the cloud to make better business decisions and move quickly but doing it in a secure way which which i think is just getting uh, really where where we need to be yeah we we in our what we did there around that is i remember like a way a long time ago when when we used to talk to companies about um you know having secure baselines there was a there was a great quote from a, a Gartner analyst and he was saying you know something along the lines of you know two-thirds of the security vulnerabilities around today are are just fixed by patching you know mm -hmm. and, and another you know another 30 percent are just um are just by uh, keeping your your software just well configured have a good secure baseline yeah. And you know, yeah. if you if you focus on keeping your systems up to date and keeping them well configured, you've pretty much sorted out ninety five percent of your problems. And then, like, you've got five percent of the evil genius hackers out there that can maybe exploit everything else. But you know, you can take those odds. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Uh, it's, 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 
it's kind of if you, you can take that and, and and sort of put it to the cloud too. I, I remember talking to my my old boss. He's, he was a CIO, and he was saying to me, "Well, what about what about security baselines for the cloud column? What are we doing there?" And so, oh, that's, that's a good. It's, it's an interesting concept. Just have a baseline for the cloud too. So we, we we had our major cloud providers. So started looking at them and seeing, well, if we were going to implement a security baseline for each of these cloud providers, what would it look like? You know, so we we started a bit of work mm -hmm. on that. So for things like AWS and Salesforce and. Uh, uh, you know, the, the kind of main cloud providers that we have, Microsoft was another one. And uh, so we, we, we got cracking on that kind of stuff. So that helps. Yeah. And, and, they're, and they're the main ones, you know, I mean, there's plenty of other things that people use themselves and trying to stay on top of it all is a challenge. But, um, but I think for the main, the main vendors, it's good to have some kind of baseline with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, even with, I, I know, I, I know, I suppose we've talked about this before, but I think, the CIS baselines are are definitely uh, a favorite of mine anyway, um, and I know they they certainly released foundation uh, level guidance for securing Azure. So we now have CIS benchmarks for Azure environments, AWS, uh, which include the console kind of elements as opposed to the boxes in the environment, which is yeah. um, a real step forward. And now that you can pretty much scan them using vulnerability scanning technology, um, we can maintain that level of assurance and continuous monitoring over time, which is uh, which is a really great advancement uh, in, yeah, in that whole space. It's, it's, it's interesting there, but I mean, if you're looking at, like, say, AWS, like, there's an interesting. They have this interesting concept of a shared responsibility model, is what they call this, you know. And they they're kind of saying, well, we have you know the data center and the infrastructure that supports the data center and all of that. Uh, we will keep our We'll keep our eye on that stuff, and we'll make sure that's secure. But what you put in there, <laughs> that's up to you. You know the information that you yeah. put in there, and how and how you provide access to it. So, it's not just the case. Well, you know, it's it's in a it's in AWS, so it must be secure. It's you know they're very upfront about that whole shared responsibility model, and I think that's important. Another thing I've noticed as well with some of our other there's another major cloud service provider that we have. We we have regular meetings with them around security. So we kind of sit down and every quarter or so and, and have a chat about the latest vulnerability scans that we've done and any penetration testing results that we've done. And what I found interesting there is that, you know, when you, when you have a, a, like I say, a large, a large contract with a, with a vendor and you look at, you know, the service level agreements and you look at the contracts and you look at all of that, you know, that kind of associated documentation, it can become a little bit sort of gray, vague as to who is responsible for what, you know? So when you, when you sit down with them and if you have a, a kind of a regular rapport with them, um, you can sort of start getting into the nitty gritty then, you know, because even, you know, if there are some of these guys are coming from very large companies and you know yourself in, in very large companies, sometimes they're not 100% sure what, what what their colleagues are responsible yeah. for, you know, so by, by having these kind of uh, yeah. sit downs and chats with them, you can sort of really get to get to the nub of it and find out who's responsible for what, which I think is is well worth doing if, if, you, if, you, if you haven't done it already. Absolutely. And that, that racy kind of model, um, calling it out super clear, I suppose, is, is advantageous uh, for the ongoing security operations piece. But um, in case anything does happen, there's always the, the liability question um, that the, the legal bods will get involved in to, to follow yeah. up after the fact, I suppose. And you know yourself, even just by sitting down and sort of figuring out the race, it, it tends to preempt a lot of that stuff anyway, sort of to it sort of almost proactively addresses it before it happens because now it's clear, you know? Yeah, now it's clear you can start looking at KPIs, monitoring and measuring and all yeah. that good stuff as well. Yeah. The 
final question then I suppose I have from today is um, I suppose going forward and uh, in your opinion, what are the what are the key things we can do uh, to become more resilient against attacks um, and some of the risks that are out there at the moment? Uh, I, th I think really it's it's it boils down to just having a good understanding of how you're handling the risks at the moment, um, you know, and discuss the significant current issues. You know, when you hear about this stuff that's going on in the in the press or the latest threats, and just sort of sit there and think, well. How could how could we respond to that that event? Um, you know, what what would we need to do to um, to improve our response uh, in the case where you know we're, we're found lacking? Um, so you know, you know, just really have a good understanding of where you are and and keep your eye keep keep your eye open what's going on and just consider well, you know, if that happened in here, what would we do? And then that can sort of stimulate a bit of creative thought. The, the other thing I've noticed as well is that. Um, you know, technology isn't the answer to all the problems. You know, there's that old cliche of um, people process technology. You know, so you you need you need to be thinking about um, how you're going to manage technology. Uh, but the other side of it is, is there are there are people typically other people and other functions in your company who are affected by all this stuff, and sometimes they've got very useful insights uh, that uh, you may not have considered. <laughs> you know, if, if you're if you're primarily technical, primarily security, uh, every now and then when you talk to people in finance or legal or you know human resources, they they will have an interesting view on on some of the risks and how they how they can be addressed. So I think it's it's good to it's good to sort of roll in and have a good have a good kind of rapport with with your colleagues and other functions as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and it's it's even it's even something that we're seeing uh, growing a lot more, even from the the services that we provide, is people moving towards this uh, purple teaming exercise. So where where people have had um, you know the the simulated tabletop exercises now at the moment to say. Uh, okay, mm. what if ransomware breaks out? Do we have the right controls? Do we have the right team to um, effectively switch off machines or segment our network? Or do we have the right backups in place? What we're seeing now is some organizations now, albeit fairly mature security organizations, are moving to a model now where they have active attackers, active defenders, and somebody in the middle um, to oversee how effective the response is of the blue team to a, an unknown red team attack. Um, and it, it seems to be it seems to be gaining a lot more traction just to maybe fully understand beyond that uh, tabletop simulation where um, where organizations are how they're actually going to react if we just placed someone on their network um, yeah. and I, I think that's it's applicable across pretty much everything we do we talk about I suppose the the old the old model of that would have been very much around BCP and DOR um, whereas now I think we the way we have to go now is just test everything, make sure we're going to know the outcomes before it happens, um, and then and then be prepared not to make decisions when your back is up against the wall and you haven't thought about it before. That, that guy, I think that's you know there was that old expression from some American general. I think he, it was something along the lines of plans are plans are nothing, planning is everything. You know, so it's the whole process of, of getting yourself ready is where I think most of the value is to be had. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good stuff. Colm, thanks for your time today. Um, much appreciated. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I think anybody who comes across uh, the podcast uh, will, will really get some uh, good insight as to, I suppose, how you've moved through your career. And what's evident to me is certainly coming from that technical background, just from listening to you, is how the maturity has grown from that very technical 
connecting companies to the internet have never been connected before all the way to engaging from the real business perspective and moving outside of the pure CIA and triad to, to really thinking about information security and security in the wider business context um, to, in order to get buy-in for the organization, which is uh, really yeah. good. Yeah, it sounds good. I never thought of it quite like that, John. <laughs> I must have learned yeah. something along the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks for your time again, Colin, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. All right, thanks very much, John.